two. I'll be back. But wait, we are back. Because Gilded Films is back for the first time in like five months or it feels like that. Anyway, hello friends, it's me, Christian, here as always with the illustrious and tired from school, Bretto. Yes, but the semester is over and we are back. Hallelujah. Back to our original format this week, we are going to look at another year of Oscar history. 1975. Yes, the 48th Academy Awards. I remember it well. Do you, though? I was there. Oh, wow. Traveled back in time once again. Yeah. So uh, tell the people where, where the heck we've been. Well, um, Christian has been having fun at Disney World at oh. least the last week. So yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Donate. <laughs> I've been away from graduate school, um, but yeah, the website's kind of shifted over time. We haven't had as many reviews lately, but podcasts are going to continue coming. Um, we've got some predictions for upcoming awards on there. We um, do. We do. I saw that the other day, and I was like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. It's it's that time of year. We'll hopefully be convening again soon to talk about our top 10 films of the year, um, probably use some of our own winner predictions at some point. a lot of movies. Yes. I've gotten a lot of screeners. Tell them what you're a part of. I'm part of the uh, Kansas City Film Critics Circle. There's so many C's in that. Uh, The awards are actually this Sunday, December 16th, or that Sunday, December 16th, depending on when this airs. Uh, But yeah, they sent like, I think the total was 84 screeners. Wow. Over the course of like a month and a half i've seen most of them i dedicated the time that's awesome so this will be like the first year that i have a solid maybe top 10 top 25 in the year of like 2018 and not in the next year because mm. i've seen everything yeah it's really weird it's bizarre i'm like so happy but yeah i think i'm gonna aim for like january 10th that's gonna be the point where i'll probably have mine because i still need to see like if bill street could talk the favorites seen it yeah, yeah. Roma, which is out today on Netflix and in a few theaters across the country. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're reaching that point. But today, that is not our focus. We're going to talk briefly about 1975. Some things that were going on that year, just briefly, and then start getting into the films. So what was going on that year? Well, Vietnam officially ends in yeah. April. With the uh, like the evacuation of Saigon, mm-hmm. the famous picture of the helicopters and the children being taken by American forces, so they can live right here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Sort of a tumultuous ending, really, if you think about it. Um, again, I think we've talked about this before when we talked about '67. The Ken Burns documentary does like a great job explaining all this. Yeah, I won't say it all here, but there's a lot that happened in '75 in terms of Vietnam, which is interesting because. Like if my my understanding of Vietnam may be foggy, but like nineteen sixty eight, which we talked about last, was like the height of things and the violence, and then like the beginning of the seventies, uh, on the U.S. end, not as much going on as there was previously, and then nineteen seventy five, we finally pull out the last of the troops, at least to degree. Mm-hmm. Um, We're also coming off. Gosh, I think it was like a year, year and a half of Nixon's resignation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously that's a big thing that happened. Chelly influences the films we're going to look at. Yeah. Um, And also, I mean, films for years to come. The next year we'll have all the President's Men, which deals with that 
you know, very much hands-on, but some this year that kind of do it in a more subtle way as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Sony this that year, 75, introducing the Betamax, which uh, I'll look up because I'm not entirely sure what a Betamax is. I do know it's important, though. But the big thing is JVC introduces a little thing called VHS. VHS. Which will shape our lives growing up forever. Yeah, I think about, like, my home, my hometown. We have just this big shelf Disney VHS tapes. Like, some of them we haven't kept over the years, but the Disney ones we just had to keep because now they're, like, Mine collector's all, all items. And, yeah, yeah, and uh, I think it's very, they're very influential in ways that we don't think about now. Like, it was just, like, a year ago that they finally made the last VCR oh. I read. Um, it's so nostalgic, too. I know. And it's weird to think today, like like we just said, Roma, this theatrical release is being released on Netflix today. Mm-hmm. Like you can watch it at home, whereas up until 1975, the theater and cable were basically the only routes people had to watch mm-hmm. some of these films. Yeah. But last but not least. Um, so today we think about Avengers and all these summer blockbusters that really started in 1975 with Jaws, which is considered, yeah, the first real summer blockbuster. It changed the face of blockbusters. It really did. Well, I mean, it was like the blockbuster, so. Yeah. Get to it. It's great, y'all. And two years later, we have Star Wars and the rest is history. Yeah. 70s. Yeah, Spielberg and George Lucas, they kind of ruled the roost in those years. Is that a controversial statement? What? It probably is for some people. Spielberg and Lucas? Yeah. Film Twitter, don't add us. We don't care. Oh. Yeah, I can see what you're saying there. Don't add us. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. As for the Oscars that year, and you know this very well because I've mentioned it so many times, in my opinion, an outstanding lineup. One of the best, I think, in the history as of the last, Academy Awards. As of last night, finally finishing the fifth one, yeah. Pretty good. Pretty awesome. And even the one you don't like, I liked. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I just don't think it fits in with the others. And we'll get to which one that is, Mr. Kubrick. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, the Best Picture nominees we have this year, um, in the year of five, Five nominees. Look over there, see if they got it right. You want to take it off from the top? The first one is Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon. It's in Irish? It's Irish, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. been a while since I saw it, but I did watch it. It's an Irish epic, about three hours or so, with Ryan O'Neill, some other folks. Um, oh, I don't really know. <laughs> it's, I liked it. I don't think it's one of Kubrick's best. There are some people who consider it his best. I think it's technically really nice mm-hmm. because you're using natural lighting. The costumes are beautiful. Um, this year's film, The Favorite, actually reminds me a lot of Barry London. Really? That, yeah, that's for you all to decide once you see The Favorite. Um, but no, Barry London was, he was good. Yeah. It's not one of his best, and it's weird to think that it took five five years after that to make like his next movie which would be the shining mm-hmm. but this I, I mean like all his films is sort of like a passion project for him too yeah yeah i i mean you talk about 
it being a technical effort, mm-hmm. technical marvel. Um, if you list the four awards that it won at the Oscars were production design, costume design, cinematography, and original score. Also nominated for Best Picture, Director, and Adapted Screenplay. You just look at the awards that it won, you know this is the gravity of that year, mm-hmm. um, or like the Avatar it's of that really year. The visual it's movie of the year. Yeah, the Titanic of that year. So um, the cinematography especially was very influential mm-hmm. for the time. For a lot of reasons. I mean, he relied mostly on natural lighting. Which is really, really nice. In certain it, scenes, you know. It's not like it makes it too dark or anything. Yeah. Even when it's candlelit, it's just really natural and fitting. I mean, he, he had also special cameras, too. So right. That way that nothing would be too dark that you couldn't see. Yeah. There's a lot of movies these days that are, like, too dark for me. Yeah, no, I, I feel that. I can't see anything. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I watch them, like, what the hell is going on? Because I can't yeah. see well enough. And... He did a really nice job. It is it is a really well made film. I think I even though like of all the best picture nominees, this one is number five for me this year and it's not even really close. Um, I do like it. I just think it's a bit dry at times. It's the Academy getting their historical period piece in there. Yeah, exactly. They have to have something in there, you know? Right. I mean, even though times are changing and the other movies tackle a lot more hard like harder subjects yeah why not throw in the period epic yeah and i mean I do mean epic that thing is long it's long and sometimes i'm just like part of me is like why am i following this guy like mm-hmm. what's so interesting about him it's really nothing it's really not and maybe that's the beauty of it and i'm just not connecting with it yeah um but it's not like he's like a, a queen elizabeth figure you know, like something like that yeah um but he does have some interesting adventures. He's involved in, um, I believe, the Seven Years' War. Um, is involved with that a little bit. He kind of takes on, what is it, this identity um, as a prince or something. He abandons war, too. Yes, yeah. Which gets him in a shitload of trouble. Yeah. He goes from riches to rags, right? Yes. Again, it's been since August since I saw this. Or is it like rags to riches, back to rags type thing? Yeah. But he ends up, like, in some position of authority. He marries someone named Lady Linden, and that's where his name comes in. He actually changes his name, settles in England, um, and turns out to be a really shitty guy. Yeah. Um, abusive to his wife and it's her son. Like this is supposed to be a comedy. Yeah. The way that you're talking about it and the way that other people would feel, but... Well, and that's the way I kind of felt watching it. Yeah. Like, and I think, I don't know if part of it is Ryan O'Neill's performance mm-hmm. and the way he gives off the character, it is a little comedic to it's me. It's weird because he's like a, an American actor placed in an Irish epic yep. with all these like UK actors around him. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. And anyway, there's this kind of like family dynamic where he doesn't like the son because he's where he's going to take the throne. Mm-hmm. What typically happens in epics like this. But I mean, I, you know, it's kind of straightforward. It's there. It's nice job on the aesthetic value. Um, just not, like you said, not one of my favorite Kubrick yeah. films. There are quite a few that I would put above it, and I haven't even seen all of them. So. I haven't seen the early stuff, but whatever. Like the 60s and whatnot. Moving on? 
Yeah, moving on. Next is a very exciting film that I like, and I think Brett likes as well. Oh, yeah. Dog Day Afternoon. Mm. Sydney Lumet's Dog Day Afternoon. Yes. With uh, Al Pacino, John Cazel, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Oh, my gosh. If I got that wrong, I'm kicking myself. I'm trying to think of the name of the guy in the film who uh, was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. Um, John Cazale. John Cazale. John Cazale. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you're good. Um, That's Chris Sarandon, who was nominated. Oh, it was Chris Sarandon. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, Dog Day Afternoon is, it's a true story, pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, About this man and his accomplice who sort of hold a bank hostage. There's a reason. I don't want to give too much away because it's sort of an interesting reason. Interesting enough for 1975. Yes. If you're considering all things because it's a little bit of a taboo subject. Mm-hmm. Um, I can understand why today would be seen kind of controversial. A little problematic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend actually who told me that Sidney Lumet was always afraid of the why he was holding up the bank, like what his purpose was, because he thought audiences would laugh, but audiences reacted very well to it. Mm-hmm. Again, see the movie for yourself. To judge that, you get the famous line, Attica, Attica, yes. in it. Yeah. But uh, overall, it's one of my favorite movies. I watched it in summer of 2010. I mm. remember this well. Yeah. And I fell in love with it immediately. Saw it earlier this year, remembered it very well, and just, I was floored by it. It's very profound. Yeah. It's hard to forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it just begins with a bang. Like... It's all centered around this bank robbery. Al Pacino, like Chris says, robbing this bank for a particular reason where normally I'm okay with giving away spoilers, but this one is so big and profound and central that I agree I don't want to give it away. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned the term Attica. That's I think of this film as just, like many films that we're going to talk about today, so representative of the 1970s and the opposition to authority. And in this case the prison slash police force. Um, Attica was a prison um, that was part of a major riot in, what, 1971, I believe. And a lot of the prisoners were killed as a result of that. And so you know, a lot of protests around that. Um, I think Al- it took me until maybe this year to understand that that was a prison riot. Oh, and yeah. Not just like a phrase that he was saying for no apparent reason. Like just to like rile up the yeah, people? yeah. But it's like him saying it to the people because he's saying it outside when they're letting mm-hmm. him actually communicate with the police. Yeah. Like, don't forget about Attica. Yeah, because this crowd is formed around the police and mm-hmm. the bank that he's robbing, and it's mostly young people. Mm-hmm. Um, who are for him. Yes, who are, like, on his side in all yeah. this. Um, and you would expect a film like this because it is a hostage film, and a lot of it is, like, set within that bank. Mm-hmm. I was a little nervous it would be kind of dry at times because mm-hmm. I remember this is Sidney Lumet who did 12 Angry Men yeah. and he knows how to work spaces like that yeah. and and they're all very very sympathetic characters they are yeah. very much they so they don't hurt anybody and there's the old man who has sort of like the heart issues that mm-hmm. they let him go yeah they let him go they don't want him to die and he's very inept like he is not well suited to be a yeah. bank robber he's, he's not prepared at all no like he I remember, like, isn't there a scene where he, like, gives them his gun? Pretty and much, yeah. yeah, and I haven't seen this in a, he's, a year he's or so, very, but... He, 
it's like he wants to go, get the job done, and leave. Yeah. He doesn't expect any detours, which is what happens, which is what the entire movie is. Yeah. It's a big detour for him. And the whole film, he, he thinks he's in control, mm-hmm. and he's really not. Like, he, I think he underestimates the FBI once they come in. and Yeah. That's just how it goes. I will say um, it did win one award for Best Original Screenplay, Ooh, Frank Pearson. Nice. Um, Sidney Lumet has a thing for directing well-written films. Mm-hmm. I know it's like 12 Angry Men, The Verdict, which was written by David Mamet. Um, so it's got a win there. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Al Pacino for Best Actor, and Chris Sarandon for Supporting Actor, and also Film Editing. And um, a box office hit as well, fourth highest of the year. Made about $50 million, which was pretty significant for that time. It's not bad. So, it's one movie that I could watch multiple times. Oh, yeah. It's I so... I really enjoy it. It's very accessible. Yeah. And so, good film. Really great film. Next film? Yeah. Is Jaws. I, I imagine this one's very special for you. It is. As a very big Steven Spielberg fan. I love Steven. And I love Jaws. I, n- I don't think that I liked it. I think that I liked it the first time I saw it when mm-hmm. I was younger. But now I love it. Oh, yeah. And I made it part of my 4th of July this year to watch it. Just because mm-hmm. it takes place through 4th of July. Right. But no, it's it's pretty great. And for him being like a first time big name director he had directed other films before that right for him to get this movie that cost a lot of money to do Mm -hmm. a lot of challenges if you've ever read up on it yeah the shark did not work (laughs) that's why you barely see the shark but that's another story that's a whole podcast for jaws yeah um no but he just did a great job on it he really did turns out great and it's one of the i think one of the biggest crimes in the history of the oscars that he was not nominated for best director Mm -hmm. Um, you all please look up Spielberg watching Os- like Oscar nominations mm-hmm. on YouTube because the man thought he was going to get a nomination. Yeah. Because the nominations for Jaws kept rolling in, and then when his name wasn't called for director, he was bummed. Which it didn't get as many nominations as I thought it would. Uh-huh. It got four, which which is still good, if I remember right. Um, it won for film editing, original dramatic score, of course, mm-hmm. and for sound. But like this video, he's like saying what we're going to get. 11 nominations something like that is what he was hoping for <laughs> which it part, there is a little bit of a comedic aspect to it um and, and i he's young. he's young he's young he wants it and also just like you said the troubles with producing this film mm-hmm. going over budgets going over the time frame they wanted the damn shark the damn shark a, a few struggles with peter benchley i'm pretty sure who wrote the novel um it's almost like I mean, I think in hindsight, yes, he should have deserved at least a nomination for this. Right. Really, for all the bullshit he had to put up with, and yet at the same time making a movie that's like, I would say, almost perfect. Yeah. 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 It's, it is, it's a summer blockbuster, but that shouldn't dismiss from how mm-hmm. artful and just plain well-made it is. Mm-hmm. And well-written, too. Yeah. I mean, you don't usually have films like this that also have good writing. And the actors, too. Yeah. Real the good actors. Leads. Roy Schneider, uh, Richard Dreyfuss, and oh my god, names going blank. Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. Mm-hmm. I mean, how could you forget him? Honestly, that was so stupid. But no, all three of them working together. Uh, That's the other crime, is that Robert Shaw was not nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He is brilliant. He's so good. He has this speech where he's talking about 
his plane going down in World War II. Is that what happened? Yeah, his boat. His boat. His boat. His boat Sorry. Um, Which is a true story. Yeah, it was based on true story, or that part of it was, and his crewmates being eaten by sharks. This is also and, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's a very violent event, and this because he's this really tough guy. He puts on this tough guy persona, but in that moment, you can see how he's broken, mm-hmm. and kind of the things that have really traumatized him. And it's it's one of my favorite movie speeches ever. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And then unfortunately, there's like five sequels. There's three sequels, five sequels, whatever. Yeah. Two Jaws, which, mm, how can you beat the original? You really can't. Really. But no, Jaws, I think, is one of my favorites. Like, overall favorite, maybe top 25 or so. Mm-hmm. We'll see where the ranking is for on this. I'll be, I don't think there's any spoilers on where it will be. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, go off. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's also just saying a lot. It's a huge critique on capitalism mm-hmm. because you have this mayor who wants to continue to open the beach even though it's very clear that somebody's going to be yeah. attacked by a shark. And please, everybody, vote. Because like the <laughs> news say, the mayor in the first Jaws is also the mayor in the second Jaws. Yep. Yeah, he didn't, Somebody didn't do their the job. First time, so. And it also, I find it oddly inspirational because... Jaws, the shark represents fear Mm -hmm. of so many things. And there's a moment, if you haven't seen this yet, I'm sorry. I'm going to spoil the ending. If you haven't Um, seen this yet, where you've been. Yeah, seriously. But when Roy Scheider actually defeats the shark and he just kind of like goes, yeah. Like, it's just really, it almost gives me chills because he has this fear of water, this fear of, being the new sheriff of this town after something happened in his last town that went wrong. Mm-hmm. And then this shark and to finally overcome that and win to literally beat nature. Mm-hmm. It's just really kind of like, it really looks like touched me a little bit. Like, yeah, good job, Roy. Like, nice job. Um, yeah, I don't know if you ever felt that way about it, but it's just, just I, that was something I noticed specifically this time I watched it. Yeah. Like, specifically when he yells and cheers, it's like, Really cool. Um, That's a weird way to put it, but what do you know? I, I don't know. I will say, just to close it off, obviously a huge box office hit, the highest grossing of all time until Star Wars. Second time on this podcast we've had that because Jurassic Park mm-hmm. was the highest all time. Again, Spielberg. The cool thing about this one is that it got a wide release and saturation booking, which at the time was not very common. Normally it took more of a... Um, you know, to open in that many theaters at once mm-hmm. was not very common. A wide release back then was 450 screens. Add another zero and that'd be like the common number today. I Yeah, like exactly. Thousands. Yeah. And so I think when, when we think about, oh, are really, are people really going to the movies more today? I don't think they are like mm. 450 screens. That's like an indie film today. Mm. And it, made that much 470 million dollars total box office that's a lot. that'd be a lot today well, you also hear stories and like if you watch making of these movies like what i when i was at disney we saw a documentary about star wars and ron howard was in it and he even said well when i went to see the first star wars we immediately got back in line and waited two hours to see it again yeah and yeah. then you see pictures of like the exorcist the godfather Again, all 70s movies. Mm -hmm. Again, with Jaws, too, where people are lined up across the street and out the door for these movies. Yeah. Because, again, you don't have 
mm-hmm. all the screens that you have today yep. where you probably won't have as much of a crowd or you won't have a totally sold out crowd, but you might have one. Um, but yeah, 450 is so small. And there was not a guarantee that you were going to see the film again back then. Yeah. Like this was the first year of the VHS. Yeah. Still, I mean, there's probably thoughts that this would be the future, but mm-hmm. back then it was less of a certainty how many more times you were going to get to watch this movie. It's like see it now or see it never. It's yeah, like, basically. Yeah. Or see it, what, the seven, we're in the 70s, so see it now or see it in the 90s. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Anything else on Jaws? It's beautiful. It is a great film. Next film. I really enjoyed this one a lot more than I expected to. I watched it last night. Last night. Last night. Nashville from Robert Altman. We've also encountered before a little bit with mm-hmm. shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Well, I just have to say for Brett because I don't think he knows this yet. But I've seen Nashville and didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And then I watched Nashville last night, and I I gave it my total 100%. I paid attention. I listened to everybody's conversation, and I loved it. Loved it? Yeah. Really? Awesome. The Christian's heart grew three sizes that <laughs> So what was different this time? Well, I think, think I put it into context more mm-hmm. of, like, 1975, yeah. America. It's real. I mean, this is a year, 75, other than Barry Lyndon, of good American films mm-hmm. about America during this time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's, I think it was that mostly. It has a lot of American pride to it. It really does. Obviously, because it's about country music, which mm-hmm. is like an American thing. It takes place in Nashville. There's a lot of American flags going on. Yeah. Confederate flags too. Um, yeah. Which yeah. is which I have so I have issues. I think with Robert Altman's scripts. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote scripts. A lot yeah. of this is improvised mm-hmm. because the whole talking around each other yeah. gets to me because I do like to listen to other people's conversations. Right. But this one is easy enough to follow along. I thought so too because we talked about before. I think like na- Mash. Mm-hmm. You have all those voices coming. I do not like Mash at all. And this one, he kind of has that going on here as well. Again, this movie is what three hours or two, close to it. it was like two, two hours and, and a half. 40. Two hours and forty. So it's also a long film. 24 characters being followed. So it's a big ensemble piece. But they're all interesting. They are. They all got their own thing going on. And it's weird, too, that, like, it it's a fictional film, but you have characters like Elliot, I mean, not characters, they're real people, Elliot Gold and Julie yeah. Christie, who are evidently in this universe of Nashville. Playing themselves. And it even starts off with, like, presenting Robert Altman's Nashville. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. It's like cast, and it's like, oh, okay. It's, like, self-reflexive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and it's about a lot of the characters are country or gospel singers. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes there are no more interesting characters to follow than musicians. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just the way it is. Um, you follow, you mostly follow their life. I mean, you do follow some of their personal lives. Yeah. Especially Lily Tomlin's character. Oh, she's so you good. You see her with her family. She has two deaf children. Her husband and her kind of, eh. mm-hmm. she has an affair. Um, you see a singer who, I forgot her name, but Ronnie Blakely? Yes. The mom from Nine on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Um, she collapses from exhaustion. Yeah. Kind of sympathizes with, you really sympathize with her. You really do. Because she's tired as heck, and then she has to go out there and sing in front of the crowd. She's like the big star, like yeah. almost re- representative of like Dolly Parton oh, yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, which is funny because the actual country music singers in Nashville during this time really did not approve of the movie. Yeah, I read that. They... 
And you would think it's because of representation, because some of these characters, like, we sympathize with them, but they're also kind of like, eh, they kind of suck. Mm-hmm. But it's more so because Robert Altman did not use their music. Yeah. He had the actual actors and actresses write the songs and perform them, including... Um, Carradine. Yes, Carradine. Which Carradine is it? Oh, Keith? Gosh, still, David or Keith? One Let's of those see. two. Um, he sings a song called I'm Easy. It's Keith. It's Keith, which is really good. It won Best Song at the Academy Awards. Um, and he's kind of got something going on with Lily Tomlin, mm-hmm. who was probably her performance kind of understated, mm-hmm. but might have been my favorite of the Mine movie. Was, uh, she was also so good. Yeah. What's interesting when I was watching it last night was I'm Easy, the song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the only time that it's quiet throughout the entire song. It really is. Because other songs, they have people talking in the background, and then you get up to his song, and he's yep. sort of this hippie counterculture guy who's having an affair with Lily Tomlin's character, who's a gospel singer. Mm-hmm. Like, the first introduction we get of her is singing gospel. Um and it's just quiet. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know the reason because, you know, everybody's talking and it's real quiet. Yeah. And it's a good song, too. It is really good. And, and he wrote it. I Actually, I don't think, I, again, I didn't pay that much attention the first time I watched mm-hmm. it. And now I did. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. And it's also, like you said, this saying things about the 1970s. At the end of this film, there is um, an assassination that occurs. Mm-hmm. We'll say who. Uh, but it is a singer. And Robert Altman actually, like, kind of said, like, I think this is going to happen one of these days. Like, we're going to see some big star be assassinated. Five years later, John Lennon Lennon is assassinated. And it's like, ooh, that's kind of eerie. Yeah. And at the same time, we've got this whole, what is it, like, three or four days is centered around this um, gathering, this um, campaign for a populist candidate, Hal Philip Walker, mm. we don't see him the entire movie. Yet he is like him. this central character. Yeah, and you just hear him through his um, his campaign band, pretty much. Yeah, and all his political statements. And I try to listen closely mm-hmm. in case there was, but you get too caught up with everybody else. You really do. But it's constantly there. It is. And they drive that car everywhere you could possibly think of. And there's a scene really early on where there's like a traffic accident. Mm-hmm. And everything's hilarious. And you just hear that voice of like what his issues are, what he stands for, and it's just going and going and everybody just panicking. Yeah. yeah. I think there's some callback to Nixon there. And I also think like the assassination is representative of the paranoia that came in the post Watergate era. Mm-hmm. Um, there also, it's, it's weird how that assassination is also led up before to that speech about Kennedy. Yeah, that's right. You remember, they asked that one woman about Kennedy, and yeah. said, well, Kennedy didn't win the South, did he? And she's like, no, I've campaigned for him. And she, she like, starts crying yeah. because she's so she's so passionate about she's him. Like, and, Kennedy. and I think that's the way, like, a lot of people were, especially young people mm-hmm. during that time. Uh, but the film did, had a pretty good showing at the Oscars. Um, like we said, one best song. It's also nominated for Best Picture, Robert Altman for Director, and two supporting actress nominations for Ronnie Blakely and Lily Tomlin, who are our respective favorites. So well done there by the Academy. Which also, um, Louise Fletcher, who won for Cuckoo's Nest, which we'll get to after this, was in consideration for the Lily Tomlin role. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. And then when she didn't, because she wanted to do Cuckoo's Nest, her and Altman had a falling out. Mm, okay. Yeah. But I mean, Lily Tomlin is pretty good in there. 
Again, my personal choice one is like Lean. Right. Yeah. yeah. They're they're both so good. I'm just so proud of myself for like investing so much into it. And I liked it. It's hard because it is long yeah. and it is it's a lot to follow. Yeah. Um but it is a really, really fascinating movie. And it's like I mean, Jaws I think it's between Jaws and Nashville that both sort of talk American dreams and mm-hmm. American fears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, Big Nashville's time. Nashville's more of American dreams because you have sort of a rise to fame and a fall from fame, especially in the ending. Yeah. Uh, Jaws is the fear. Right. You know. But, I mean, again, perfect year for American films. Oh, yeah. That perfect year continues with our best picture winner, the big one. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. What a title. I just love the title. Fucking title. Based on the Ken Kesey novel from 1962. And also a stage play, Broadway play, yeah. with Kirk Douglas. Yeah. It was kind of cool. Which is, uh, Michael Douglas produced this. That's right. Yeah, he did produce he this. his dad, but his dad felt that he was too old at the time. So yeah. So we got Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. So uh, fantastic. So five, including picture director for Milos. Foreman, who passed away this year, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack Nicholson for actor, Louise Fletcher for lead actress, which I want to talk about. Yes. And adapted screenplay. Yeah. Also nominated for supporting actor Brad Dorf, who is the voice of Chucky, mm-hmm. child's play. <laughs> uh, cinematography, editing, and score. Speaking of that supporting actor pick, is that he, if you could pick one supporting actor from this film, because there's a lot of them. There's a lot. Is he the one you'd go with? No. Well, if I could, he'd be in there, but then another one would be chief okay chief brombden yeah i lean towards christopher lloyd a little bit i don't know why he's just like this interesting character who's there in and out and everything yeah. but i really like um it's like a lot chief of good actors well. in here there it, it is it is a it is an have, ensemble you have brad dorf who's like a baby in this yeah you have young christopher lloyd you have young danny devito yeah isn't that weird yeah. and it's like if you like read up on the fun facts how there's their friendship and their you know, mm-hmm. their friendship with all the actors in the mental hospital because it takes place in a mental hospital. Yes. They all got along pretty well and they all played off each other's. No, it's, I think it's a great film because mm-hmm. I watched it. Again, we've been preparing for this podcast for a while, but when I watched it, it's been years and I just, I couldn't believe how much I loved it. And Jack Nicholson is great in it. Mm-hmm. Louise Fletcher, again. Let's talk about her. Let's talk about her. She's great in this film. She is fantastic. She's stone. She's a stone cold. You know what? Yeah. Let's just say that she won actress, but her role is really a supporting type. It is. She's not in it that much, uh, and when she is, she's background mm-hmm. or she's up front when she's conducting sort of like interviews. And yeah. Seeing with the group group sessions. Offer. Yeah. yeah. But it's weird that she would be lead actress and not supporting. I don't, and what's weird to me is like, and maybe I'm because I haven't seen every single person that was nominated. Mm-hmm. But normally when this occurs, it's because they have a better chance of winning one than the other. Yeah. I don't think that's the case here. Mm-hmm. Like I think she would have had just as good a chance of winning best supporting actress. Yeah. Over like, who did win that year? Uh, Lee Grant. Lee Grant from Shampoo, mm-hmm. right? Which I haven't seen all that movie, so maybe you can tell me later if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But. I don't know. It, to me, when I watch this movie, it's not even a debate that she's supporting. Yeah. Like, there's no way she's lead. Yeah. But she was, uh, that's where she was put, and she ended up winning. So, good for her. Have you seen her um, Oscar acceptance speech? I haven't, actually. Her parents are deaf, and she signed it. Oh, I have heard that. Yeah. I haven't seen the speech, but I've heard that story. 
Which is why, again, she was with Lily Tomlin in Nashville. Because right. Tomlin's character's kids are both deaf. Yeah, so, that's yeah. correct. But no, you know, uh, we'll talk about the other actresses also nominated for lead. Because mm-hmm. I saw, actually, a few of them. Mm-hmm. I think all but one, maybe. Um, yeah. If that's one thing about this, um, which is unsurprising, but this year of nominees is, like, the central characters are white men in all of them. And mm-hmm. very few women involved, really, except for Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, it is, there's so much you can dissect, especially around Jack Nicholson's character. Uh, for context, anybody that might not have seen it yet, um, do check it out. It's amazing. Um, but Jack Nicholson plays this guy who is basically a career criminal. Um, and this is where it's hard to watch today because his crime this time is statutory rape, mm. um, for having sexual relations with what, a 15 year old. Yeah minor um but he pleads insanity even though he really does not have any diagnosed mental illness everybody else yeah he's sane yes exactly and but he kind of this group of people in this mental hospital these patients most of which are actually in there voluntarily they kind of band around them and he kind of drives them to break the rules a little bit and have some fun and he is and really one of the common um, analyses I've seen of it is that he is kind of a Christ figure because he has his disciples that follow mm-hmm. him even when he does really crazy things. And spoiler alert, I'll say it, in the end he is lobotomized and there is a mercy killing from Chief Brobden played by Will Sampson mm-hmm. um, in the end who is also sane. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hinted at throughout the movie. Which is interesting because in the novel, Chief Brobden is the narrator, basically. It's through his eyes. I see it. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. He's talking about the chief and how he's big enough to move a mountain and could break out of there, which he does at the end. And I love the boat scenes. The boat scene is great. Like everybody's going on pretty much a field trip, but then he hijacks the bus, takes him out to the docks, and they just go on a little. Well, cruise, yeah, pretty much, and they have fun. Yeah, and he tries to have sex with a woman in the back while this is going on, but they yeah. <laughs> they steer the boat the wrong way, and they all want to get a peek. Um, I also really like the basketball scene where um, they get together and try to play a basketball game. Like he's the only one that really, yeah, we think knows how to play, but he like basically puts Chief Bromden down low. And can just toss them all up to him. There's so many good scenes in this movie. It's so... Because another one that I'm thinking about is when he wants to turn the baseball game. Yeah, the World Series. And Nurse Ratchet is just like, well, we have to have a vote, Mr. McMurray. And nobody, like, really votes for it to turn the baseball game on. And he gets pissed off with her, and she's like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, okay, great. Well, and the reason that a lot of them don't vote is because, and she knows this, they don't know what's going on. Yeah. And so... That and they're, they're intimidated by her. Yeah, that She's too. Intimidating. Yeah, very much so. But um, they all kind of gather around the TV as if the game is going on and start cheering and create a ruckus. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a fantastic scene. Uh, you have here that it was the second film to win five major Oscars. Yeah, the Big Five. The big five. Picture director, actor, actress, and screenplay. Mm-hmm. Since it happened one night. Right. 30. Which some might argue, and this is not a dismissal of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or Silence of the Lambs, 
But one might argue that It Happened One Night is the only one to legitimately do it because Louise Fletcher is supporting. And Anthony Hopkins is sort of supporting. Yeah. I can understand. You know, but it, I, I still think there's value in that. Yeah. You know, they're very good films. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it was the only, not the only, but those were the five awards that it did win. Um, it was just, I think it was just, I can't go back and say for myself, but to me, this does not seem like a very competitive race. I think One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest had it from the get-go hmm. and was going to win. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm pretty sure like it won the Golden Globe. Um, I can see, I mean, probably not in 75, but I can see Jaws today. Oh, yeah. Going very far. Oh, yeah. I think people were just afraid because of what it was about, about a shark. I think you're right. And I think today, in general, this race would be a very different story yeah um i'm gonna pull up some of the i think it would be a three-way race today with jaws nashville and one Flew the Cougars. yeah they all have their different qualities to them and they're also new academy likes today well and with nashville today it would we would have the screen actors guild awards i'm sure it would win oh, yeah. ensemble and so yeah. that is a heavy precursor for oscars um Trying to find my list here, but yeah, it was, it was the third highest grossing film of the year, um, so it had box office appeal as well, which was more common back then than even recent years. I think um, we might see that this year with Black Panther and whatnot, but um, both a critical and a commercial success coming out of that year. Okay, so I'm pulling it up, and from that year. Um, Okay, maybe I'm wrong, because Nashville won, Nashville and Barry Lyndon tied for the National Board of Review Award. Um, obviously, Sunshine Boys won Golden Globe for Best Comedy Musical. Really? Nashville won the National Society of Film Critics Awards, but One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest won the Academy, Golden Globe, and it's BAFTA. The, it's all over the board. It really is, yeah. So Nashville was, I imagine Nashville was the runner-up mm-hmm. that year, and Jaws might have been if it were released later. Yeah. But this is a good discussion to bring into our next segment. Um, Is it break time? We could take a quick break. Let's do that. We'll okay. reevaluate and jump in, and we'll look at how we would go about these nominees and go from there, see if they got it right. Okay. And we'll talk about other films as well. Yes, we will. My name is uh, uh, Steve Spielberg, and I just directed a movie called... Uh, Jaws, and Jaws is about to uh, be nominated in 11 categories. You're about to see us sweep the nominations. We're very confident at this very moment, and uh, so if we, you all have a seat, uh, we'll get on with it. So I said to the doctor, I said, I don't know where this rash came from. Oh, no. Wait, oh, my bad. Ooh. Yeah, sorry. For oh. mission, I clicked oh. the button there. Okay, never mind. <laughs> folks, uh, and we're back. <laughs> uh, well, we talked about the five nominees for Best Picture in 1975. Mm-hmm. Not about a rash. <laughs> and now we're actually going to rank them before we get into any other films. Yeah. That were either nominated or just very popular that year. Yeah. So, Brett, why don't you lead us into that, and then I'll say mine. So, I'm going to start from the bottom. Um, five. Because the top is a little cloudy for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five, definitely Barry Lyndon, as I mentioned before. Um, after that, it's so hard because I love, just absolutely love the other four films. I just can't stress enough how good they did with their nominations. 
Number four would be Dog Day Afternoon, um, a film that I love. It's so well written. Al Pacino was just amazing in that movie. It's probably my favorite performance of his. Um, but so competitive. Number three would be Nashville. Again, could easily slip in the top two. It's just not quite as iconic mm-hmm. for me as the other two are. Top two is where it gets fuzzy. Um, I know which one I like more. Um, so I'll just start there and say that Jaws would be my number two. Um, with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest being number one by the smallest of hairs. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaws, and they're so different. Jaws being, you know, the big blockbuster that's also such a well-made technical marvel. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I thought. Um, the story there was just a little bit stronger, had a little more to tell, and so it would be my number one. And now me. Yeah. My number five, Barry London, like yours. Um, number four, I put Nashville, only because it's the one I've seen less, mm, mm-hmm. but I liked it. I liked it more than Barry London. Yeah. Um, my reasons, obviously, we discussed. Number three, again, here's what you say, like, you got Boggy. Yeah, because number three, I got one for the cuckoo's nest. Mm, okay. Yeah. Number two, what do you think number two is? I would say uh, Dog Day. Wrong. Really? I'm joking. Okay. Joking. <laughs> no, yeah, Dog Day. going there. Again, I watched it when I was in high school. Really fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Loved it still when I watched it this past year. Uh, and number one, I think one of Spielberg's like top... I think it is number two. It's number two for my ranking of Spielberg movies is Jaws. Yeah. To me, it's between Jaws and Saving Private Ryan. I really... Wow, no, never mind. Raiders of the Lost Ark. He has so many good ones. I don't know. Um, But yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So uh, here's my next question, which we say, which picture was best? We, you know, because sometimes there's a difference between what we say is our favorite and what we actually think should have won best picture. What do you think? Should Jaws have won Best Picture? I think today it would have. Mm. 1975? I don't know. I'm kind of leaning toward Nashville. Nashville? Really? Yeah, to be honest. I don't know what the critical and the commercial success of Nashville was. Yeah, like, I don't know. Was it a popular movie or was it like today where people talk about this movie wasn't made for me? Yeah, it wasn't pop. Like well, it, Cuckoo's Nest seems like one of those like a hit. Yeah. You know? Nashville doesn't definitely wasn't like top 10 box mm-hmm. office or anything like that. And so I think that with Cuckoo's Nest, they did a good job with that. Yeah. Like they got it pretty much right. I really struggled with this because on one hand, I think if they had given Best Picture to Jaws, mm-hmm. how much would that change the structure of the academy awards if they had given best picture to jaws would get out have won last year just because it was more would it have changed the way voters vote because i feel like so many times i don't know i'm not a voter but i feel like sometimes they don't vote for a film like get out because it is outside of their groove Mm -hmm. you know but then you would have to go back also to 1973 with the exorcist and that, that too. If that have won, yeah. That would be and a so, movie. Yeah, and would both of those have just been a singular event where they broke the mold or would it have broken the mold for years to come? Mm. Um, but then I get to the point where I'm like, I, you know, the Academy Award should be reserved for the best film of the year. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. Yeah. 
And for me, both my favorite and what I consider the best is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm -hmm. So I, I think they got it right. And I'm just controversial. <laughs> I, you know what? Nashville does say a lot. So yeah. I, it's so hard with this year. They did so well. All right. So with that out of the way, let's look at some other movies that came out from this year because, as always, with only five nominations, it does not really capture the scope mm -hmm. of a year as a whole. So the first one we have is uh, Federico Fellini's Maracord, Maracord, which I haven't seen in years, so I'm going to let Brett talk about this movie. Oh, I really sh I struggled with this movie. It, it was fine. It, it was. I've looked at some of the critical response and just the outpouring for Fellini, which Fellini is great. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love like Eight and a Half, um, Knights of Kiberia. Like he's had some amazing films. I would not consider this one in the same fold as those others. It's just, it is, I think it is a passion project of his because it is nostalgic about his childhood. It's also just weird in a lot of ways. Like it's a very artsy, artsy Italian film like you expect. It won Best Foreign Film. But Best Foreign Film. He was nominated for Best Director. Exactly. So I'm pretty sure Spielberg says something in that video about how he wasn't nominated yeah. for Fellini was. He says, like, I got beat by Fellini yeah. or something like that, which how many people would love to say? Like, know. Yeah, you know, but... Um, and also Best Screenplay. Right. There's so many, like, fart jokes in this thing. And, like, things about, like, bodily humor. It was weird, like... You got this art thing, and then you got that thrown in. Well, if you're talking about I can respect that. Then. Yeah, yeah, I, I can respect that. It kind of provides some realism yeah. to it, but it just seemed a little dragging to me, and I had trouble really keeping up with what was trying to be said. Mm -hmm. um, but it's there. Next film. You love this one. Do you want to start, or do you want me to give my thoughts first? I do, Mother Darling. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's Grey Gardens. Which is a documentary. It's a beautiful documentary. Uh, it's like, honestly, documentaries can go away and Grey Gardens is here. Mm. It's about the life, briefly, of um, Edith and little Edie Beale, mm -hmm. who were the cousins of Jackie Kennedy. And pretty much the directors went in to, for them to do a documentary over Jackie Kennedy. Yeah. Um, Jackie Kennedy's other cousin recommended that they go visit these two. And then the directors noticed that they lived in squalor and that their lives were a little bit more interesting than Jackie's. Mm -hmm. They took a switch, the Malays brothers, and were like, well, let's make a film out of them. It's sad. It's yep. funny. It captures them so well. I it think. really does. And it's these two, they're characters of themselves, pretty much. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's documentary. It's real. They're characters of themselves that's so gripping to watch. I love this movie. They are performing. They are. They're performing for the camera. I mean, and Lil Edie especially, because mm -hmm. she wanted to be an actress. Yep. Um, her life sort of took a detour with other things. There's a made-for-TV movie starring Drew Barrymore and Jessica Lange that you could watch what happens, but, you know, Grey Gardens, I think, is it's a perfect film. And if I could, if there were 10 nominees that year, I would nominate Grey Gardens. Mm, yeah. Look, I love it. Leave me be. Oh, yeah, I agree. If there were 10 nominees, I don't know if I would put it in, like, a five, but if there were 10, I would definitely want Grey Gardens in there. Yeah, they're, they're just such... They're fun characters to be around mm -hmm. as we watch this film, and it's very much in the cinema verite yeah. technique where we're, we're just watching. Nothing's really 
there's no like narration. It's like edited in kind of a loose way. They um, tell their story. Yeah, they really do. I mean, I'm assuming somebody was just like, all right, just say a story, and they just go for it. Yeah. And we see their day-to-day lives. And we get to watch them sing yeah. and dance. <laughs> it's great. And and again, not a lot happens in their lives. No. Because it... their house is falling apart. There's raccoons in the attic. There's cat feces everywhere. There's mm-hmm. cats everywhere. They have like a... a boy who helps them with their food who delivers it to them and it was after this film that Jackie Kennedy saw what was happening to her family and they finally went in there and fixed the house up Yep. I mean because that house when you see it it's a mess but she was I think she was Jackie O by this time and so like she's like far removed from like you know the 60s when she was first lady and yeah and um, but still like a very big cultural figure and it's like i get so much joy just watching them be who they want to be in front of the camera but then like in the background it's so sad because Mm -hmm. just they are living in poverty and um not in in terrible conditions um but i also just love how like the directors are okay with us knowing that this is a film. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, like, he even, like, looks in the mirror with his camera and just films himself for a little bit, a, fuck, a couple minutes. Um, There's a sequel. There is a sequel. The Beals of Great Gardens, which I'm pretty sure is just um, edited footage. Yeah. String, uh, string together. And there's another sequel, actually, called That Summer, mm, which I, I was told is on Hulu. And Ooh. it's sort of how they got to where they started filming the documentary. Wow. Yeah, and it just came out this past year, so it's a new film. But also Grey Gardens, I mean, it's culturally relevant a lot, especially in um, queer culture. Mm-hmm. Lil Edie's sort of an idol. Um, and it's also been in, adapted into a musical, which is great. Um, you put a play, which is the same thing. Oh, my bad. My God. Uh, and a TV movie, which I spoke about, which is also very good. The, the TV movie deals with their early life before mm-hmm. Great Gardens. So you get to see how they sort of grew up, how they went from fortune to, you know, yeah. living check to check. Won yeah. six primetime Emmys and two Golden Globes. Yeah. So impressive haul there. On but no, Great, Great Gardens is a great documentary. Wasn't nominated. Yeah, which is weird. Shame. Um, Talk about crime. But it screamed at Cannes Film Festival in 1976, mm-hmm. so... I wonder when, if anybody at the time, because I don't think many people saw it, but when they interacted with it. and mm. It is very cultural. Like I guarantee most, if you look up lists of best documentaries of all time, it's guaranteed to be on that list oh, yeah. somewhere. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I think at least top 10 on most lists you're going to find, um, if not top three to five. Yeah, very influential and... Just a very nice film to watch. Mm-hmm. Next film. Which oh. I haven't seen. You've not seen this one? Hester Street? Or sorry, no. which one are you looking at? Monty Python. Oh, okay. We'll get to that one, though. Okay, okay. We'll get to that. Gotcha. Monty Python. Monty Python. Holy Grail. Which I saw for the first time this year, before oh, we even knew we were doing this year. It's so good, though. It is good. Here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. 
You know how many people have told me this is the funniest movie of all time? Okay, they're getting too deep there. They are. Like, the expectations were way too high for yeah. me as a 23-year-old viewer. And I watched And it's very funny. Yeah. I think I was just bound to be disappointed because everybody tells me it's just this, like, funniest movie ever. Yeah. It's, it's one of the funny. It's not the funniest. Yeah. It definitely has its moments. And, like, some of them, like, the whole scene that everybody references, like, merely a flesh wound. I've heard that. Scratch. Yeah. It, I've heard that reference so many times that yeah. it was worn off by the time I saw it. It's yeah. like, okay. Um, which is a fault of mine, I'll admit. Mm. But but it's $5 billion total yeah. box office for 75 That's a lot. Yeah, for a comedy like that. Again, like Great Gardens adapted into a musical. Spamalot. Spamalot, which did win the Tony. Mm. Uh, it, it's equally funny, I think. Nice. Same with Monty Python and the Holy Grail is the first couple times I watched it, I was like, hmm, it's fine. Mm-hmm. I think when I really hit me that it was funny and I laughed was when I saw it in theaters. Oh, uh, okay. When, in 2013. Um, so because you were with a crowd and like... Well, it wasn't that big. It wasn't that big a crowd, okay. No, but I had a friend there who really likes it and mm-hmm. enjoys it. And just giving it, again, like Nash for my all. Mm-hmm. You're in yeah. the theater, you don't text, you don't talk, I mean, you can laugh. I laughed. <laughs> And even the ending, which you've had 40-some years to watch, <laughs> where it just abruptly ends, where the knights it's get so arrested funny. for crimes they previously did, the audience was like, wait, is that it? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I guess, yeah, sure. Yep. It, it's funny. It, it has, like, it's like an it's like a big SNL skit. Yeah, know it is. Monty Python pretty much is. Right. I mean, Monty Python came first. Yeah. But, you know, it's good, and it's... I've seen a few of Monty Python's films, and I think this is the best of them. I hear that quite a bit. And I think, for me, there are some aspects of it that really stand out. Like, when they pretend to ride on the horses. Oh, with the coconuts. They're just like, yeah, I mean, I don't, that's just so funny. Yeah. Um, the killer rabbit is oh, hilarious. Nice. And... The night you say me. <laughs> yes. And then the beginning, where there's like the subtitles at the beginning for what seems like forever. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a scroll or something. That's so funny. Yeah. And um, it is. Like, I the way I started this, I made it sound like I don't like it. It's, like, probably top six or seven for me from this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very funny. I just, like, think it's just so hyped so often yeah. that sometimes it loses a bit of its charm and thunder. I don't know. Well, Maybe we'll it's just talk me. about an even more hyped movie coming up. Yes, this but is true. the next one we have, which I didn't get to see, but Brett saw, mm-hmm. is Night Moves. Yeah, I'll just briefly go over this because um, I don't know how popular this film is. Mm-hmm. Um, I had not heard of it until we started looking at films from 1975. And I was like, oh, Gene Hackman. He was like one of the big stars of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, did Born not. Oscar. Yeah, you know, um, for French Connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but this film did not receive any nominations. Basically, he's this former football player termed pri- turned private eye. Who um, this case originally starts out as this missing child, um, this teenager. He finds her pretty quickly, and it turns into this other big conspiracy um, of stolen goods and stolen artifacts and things like that. And it's so what I really love about it is it's very like there are some action scenes that are a little like fist fighting scenes that are a little over the top a bit, but at the same time it's so understated stated and the twists are there but they're not thrown in our face and in the end you just realize that who can you trust 
And the answer is nobody. <laughs> it's, it's really nobody. And once again, I think it's really representative of America feeling lost after Watergate. Because in the end of the film, I won't reveal too much, but it does end with him in this boat, and it's like going in circles mm -hmm. in the sea or in the ocean or whatever. And it's just very representative of America. That like We're just like lost, going in circles. What do we do next? How do we get out of this? Very interesting neo-noir mm -hmm. private eye film worth checking out. The next film, again, an overhyped mm. film, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. It's a good movie. Huge cultural icon. Cultural icon, cult following. Mm -hmm. I've been to one of the live shows. Oh, yeah. They're fun. Um, like one of my friends said, though, earlier this year when I was talking about it with her, it sort of loses its luster when people hype it too much. And when, like, non-fans go to those live shows mm -hmm. and think that they're better because they're doing it. And, you know, we're going to get criticism from a certain friend of ours. <laughs> it's good. It's not great. I'll respect it for what it is. Like, because it's... Yeah. Like, it's how can fun. you not? Like, it, it is fun. And Tim Curry is great, yeah. I thought. And I, was, I didn't... One thing I did not know about this movie, I did not know Susan Sarandon was in it. Yeah. And I saw her, so I'm like, wait... That's awesome because it's. Chris Sarandon's in Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I I enjoyed it um, yeah. quite a bit. I think um, my beef with it is is that people they go too crazy with it. Mm. Like I don't know, there's something about it. Like as a movie, I like it. I would watch it each year yeah. if I could. I always forget for some reason. Too much on my plate. But no. And I think yeah. it's perfectly fine to say that um, a film is very influential because this is you know, specific for the queer community and drag community and um, and also say that you don't like it as much as others do. Like, that's okay to still recognize its influence. Mm -hmm. um, but it is something that I will, I do plan on watching again um, one of these days. Um, I would like to go to, like, an Alamo Draft House screening of it. Oh, my gosh, I'm taking him. I heard it here first. <laughs> but um, just experience that. But, um the interesting thing about this film is it is a cult film, but for a very specific reason, it is the number two box office hit officially of 1975. Yo. That reason being that it is still running today. Yeah. It is the longest running theatrical release in the history of American cinema. Because theaters will show it once a week. Yeah. Everywhere around this country. Which is really cool. I mean, that's, I mean, that number is going to continue to go up, yeah. it, you know, steadily at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, but really, you don't see that anywhere else. Yeah. And so... I think it's a good movie to keep showing, too. really is. I mean, and now people do the floor shows. Mm -hmm. AMC shows it, and I'm pretty sure that people, if they go to it, because it's a little cheaper than floor shows that I've been to, um, they will still do all the callbacks yeah. and whatnot, which is fine. You know, I wish I could know all the callbacks, because then I would right. know, like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. I knew a few of them, but... But you have also that it was remade in 2016 with Laverne Cox. For TV, yeah. Let Live TV show. We don't talk about it. And that's what I've heard. We don't talk about that. Uh, yeah. There's a British version that was filmed live on the West End, which is a lot better than a lot the, better. the remake, quote-unquote remake. I will say, though, let's do the time warp again. Like, yeah. that song's a bop. Like, oh my God, it's so fun to listen to. 
Ooh, it is. <laughs> I, I went there. Uh, it's fun. It, I really enjoyed yeah. that part of the film as well. Yeah. But like my friend said, stop hyping it so much. <laughs> like, let it be a fun movie. Don't go crazy. I watch it at home. It's hard to get tickets. <laughs> it sold out the last time. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's awesome. When I went, we had to sit like fourth row. Of course, that was my own doing. Mm-hmm. I waited too long. But yeah. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Next Big film, one from that year. Which, again, next film I didn't see but Brett saw. Mm. Three Days of the Condor. And I watched this because... Who directed this? Oh, good question. Was I should know this. Pollock? Yes, it was. It was okay. Sidney Pollock. And it did receive a Best Editing nomination. Um, but I watched it because this was, again, the era of conspiracy thriller mm-hmm. paranoia films and this is oftentimes one of the more recognizable ones um i was a little bit let down not gonna lie robert redford in the lead role um faye dunaway is also in the film um as a woman who kind of becomes his love interest and their connection is probably the biggest reason why i didn't like it like so just to set the scene robert redford is he works for the CIA. They're undercover in like this library looking place. I can't remember what it's actually called. But they look through like novels and documents to see if there's evidence of like Russian propaganda or spy stuff and whatnot. He finds something, he sends it in, and the CIA sends a bunch of people to murder his coworkers. And he's the one who lives. His code name is the Condor. It takes place over three days. La la. What do you know? Uh, I was like, wait, what's this about? But with Faye Dunaway, he, like, kidnaps her because he, I can't remember why, but, like, he kidnaps her, and then it's almost like all of a sudden, like that, they're in love. Like, it happens so suddenly. And I mean, like... This sounds almost like the plot to North by Northwest. Yeah, I mean, I I think... It's like a modern telling. There's probably some parallels there for sure. Yeah. Definitely not as well made. I mean, the editing is good, and that's because Mm -hmm. there's some fight scenes, but, like... It's hard to follow at times. There's this big conspiracy about, um, believe it or not, oil fields in the Middle East. Um, there are a lot of like hitmen that are hired and so on and so forth. In the end, he gives the story to the New York Times, and we know that he's probably going to end up being killed. Mm-hmm. But um, it is what it is. It exists in history because it represents the paranoia and conspiracy of that time. But um, outside of that, it's... That's about it. That's all I've got. <laughs> Robert Redford's good. He's not great. Yeah. So. So we got two more films. Okay. That I watched. I watched Hester Street last night. This is obviously, I mean, if you're listening and you know what this movie is, congratulations. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I briefly knew what it is because Carol Kane, who uh, mm. may be familiar with Kimmy Schmidt and also the grandma in the second Addams Family film, uh, just she's just a great character actress too. I love her voice. She's in it. She was nominated for a best actress for it, the only nomination he got. And it's pretty much about a woman coming over from Russia with her son. She's Jewish to meet up with her husband, who has pretty much assimilated to life in America. Um, she hasn't, and she's sort of afraid to mm-hmm. assimilate. He sort of pushes that, and at the same time, he has a mistress. Mm. Yeah, um, so it just goes from there where she sort of grows to experience what America is. 
the big moment for her, she lets her hair be free. Oh. In Jewish culture, I I guess, um, which is also in the film Disobedience, which came out this year, women, married women, have to cover their hair mm. with uh, like a wig of some sorts. Uh, and she does, but then one day she lets it just go, mm. quote unquote, and it's her real hair. She's finally experiencing what it's like to be in America. Oh, she yeah. teaches herself English slowly with the help of their roommate that they have. They change their son's um, typical Jewish name to Joey mm. to okay. fit in with life. She gets a divorce from her husband. She assimilates herself slowly. I think Carol Kane does a really nice job in it. Mm-hmm. Um, when Louise Fletcher won Best Actress, it's always interesting to see Carol Kane's expression because she's just like deadpanned. <laughs> yeah, and most of the cast is um, from New York, even though there's a lot of Yiddish speaking in it. It's mm-hmm. Yiddish and English, eventually getting to just English. Gotcha. But there's only really one like pure speaker Yiddish person in it. Everybody else had to learn it, which it's good. I yeah. thought of it as a sequel almost of Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, okay. Because you the, mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, because in the end of Fiddler on the Roof, the village has to pretty much displace themselves. Um, so it's just like a character from that village coming over to America, mm-hmm. getting the American experience. Again, with the American dream going on with our five nominees, here's another example. Yeah. It's like turn of the century, immigration, what it's like to be an American. Hmm. and getting yourself into the culture. That's interesting. Yeah. But you can also find it on YouTube. Oh, really? That's how I watched it, and it's a great copy, I must say. And uh, Carol Kane was also in Dog Day Afternoon this year, oh, so she had gosh, a big year. Yeah, so. She had herself a year. She's great. To me, she is one of the highlights of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So yes. I love her. Um, and then the last film we have was number five. Uh, at the box office that year, and also won Best Supporting Actress mm-hmm. for Lee Grant, it's Shampoo. Yeah. Which I watched very quickly this morning. I've started. I haven't finished. But I will. I do have some I context finished. to provide if you don't touch on it. So you go ahead and I'll say some interesting things that I noticed. Okay. So it takes place um, Los Angeles, 1968, the eve of Nixon's first election. Mm-hmm. And it's about a hairdresser played by Warren Beatty who's sort of, no, not sort of, he is a womanizer. Yeah. He has his, I, I say he's the mister because he's the one having an affair with a married woman, mm-hmm. Lee Grant. He also has a girlfriend, Julie Christie, mm-hmm. who's also in Nashville, but has a cameo. And then he has Goldie Hawn. Um, he wants, he's, he hates his job. I mean, he loves being a hairdresser. He hates working for somebody though. He wants his own job. He tries to get money off of Lee Grant's husband. Who thinks he's gay because he's a hairdresser to women so why wouldn't mm-hmm, he of course. Um, but yeah there's a lot of uh political talk in it because it is nixon his the lady he's sleeping with her husband is for nixon and mm-hmm. it's a lot of also counterculture it, it's funny it's humorous in its weird sort of satirical way yeah but yeah i i enjoyed it but i didn't like love it yeah lee grant won an oscar for it mm-hmm Mm. No, not there. Not there. Yeah. If anything, Julie Christie, but she would have been leading. Okay. Not supporting. Gotcha. Yeah. Which I, that's one thing I noticed is like the actresses in this movie, very recognizable. Mm-hmm. Julie Christie, 
um, very big in the 70s, you know, Goldie Hawn, everybody knows now, Lee Grant, and Carrie Fisher in her debut role. And so, at least that's what tiny I've read. Little, and so, tiny little role. Yeah. <laughs> she's so good in it. Really? Okay. Can we say language in this podcast? Yes, go ahead. She asked Warren Beatty if he wants to fuck her. <laughs> and she's only like 15 or so. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Ooh. And the funny thing is, watching it too, she talks about her mother, who's Lee Grant in this, and he compares her to her, and Carrie Fisher's like, I'm nothing like my mother. And here I am thinking, are you talking about your character mother or Demi? Oh, man. Yeah. Parallels. So another thing I noticed about this, and this, I will say, full disclosure, this is something I learned by listening to another podcast. You must remember this. Um, they did a segment on Charles Manson. Ooh. And like 10 episodes on it. And one of the people who influenced Warren Beatty's character in this, um, by the way, this is written by Robert Town. He's one of the writers, along with Beatty, who won an Oscar for Chinatown. Oh, he just passed away. Too. Just passed away, yeah. Oh, no. Um, one of the influences for the hairdresser was Jay Sebring, who was murdered with Sharon Tate that night. And um, he, he, he and Tate had actually dated previously. Mm-hmm. And so there's some... Another interesting thing is that like Charles Manson was really connected with one of the Beach Boys for a while. Mm-hmm. And this, song, this movie begins with uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice by the Beach Boys. So those parallels are really... cryptic. Yeah, those, it's really kind of creepy, but those parallels... Perils are really and interesting also to see. Everybody's really excited for Nixon being elected. Not know again. This is '68 when the movie takes place. Not knowing what's to come. Ah man, I love it. I need to watch this. It's sometime. good. It's on Criterion now. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. Oh, I so, have one more movie. I was gonna say, yeah. If it's the one I'm thinking of, we could dive into that. Stepford Wives. Oh, well, then I have two. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we'll do Stepford Wives. Okay. Stepford Wives. Science fiction horror. I would say more in the lungs of, again, paranoia. Mm -hmm. Um, A woman and her husband and her family moved to this new community. Stepford, the wives there are really cheery 50s types. They care about their housekeeping, cleaning the house all the time, tending the children, making sure the husband gets his steak and beer at night. Yeah. Um, and she investigates pretty much. It's very much a 70s woman's feminism, mm-hmm. woman's rights film, amazingly. I I thought it was good. I don't agree that it's a horror movie. Yeah. So much as it is like a, uh, you know, like I said, like a, like paranoia. Paranoia. Um, like a psychological thriller, maybe, psychological even, to a thriller. degree? Very much feminism yeah. film. Mm-hmm. And what it is to be a woman. Because these females, these fembots, mm-hmm. if you've seen the movie, uh, they're like, they're going back in time to the 50s housewives while she's going through the 70s housewives. And she's like, I don't need to cook for my husband. Yeah. She disrupts the system, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She disrupts the system. Catherine Ross, who's also in The Graduate. Yes. Yeah. Um, but no, it was an interesting film. I had only seen the remake with Nicole Kidman, which is totally a comedy. Yeah. No, yeah, and it it is creepy, and it is. I, I'm the same way. Like it's a. I think it's a good film. Um, I think there are some things that you know, and I haven't seen it in a few years, so I'm kind of blanking on what. But I just remember thinking there were a few things that could have been touched up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, be a very interesting take on you know feminism during this time. It reminds me of Get Out. Almost. It does. Yeah, it does have some parallels there. The ending scene is, I think 
great. Oh, yeah. Because there's an African-American family who moves in, and the wife is of the current age, and you see all the, again, 50s parallel housewives walking mm-hmm. around the grocery store, and it's like, this poor lady is next. Yeah. Because you'll see what happens if you see it. Uh, but no, there's a lot of transformation in there. Mm-hmm. There's, it's an explicit take mm-hmm. on misogyny. Yeah. Not just feminism, but misogyny especially, and yeah. how that operates. The husbands have their own club. Mm-hmm. They don't really discuss what the club's about. Yep. You'll see. Yeah. It's, it's creepy. And then... My Your last, last one. one, yeah. Which, briefly, uh, Tommy. Oh, yes, that's yeah. right. I forgot about that. Who's rock album, concept album, rather, of Tommy, a blind kid who can play pinball. He's deaf, dumb, and blind. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's a musical. It's sung through... And Margaret was nominated for Best Actress. I believe she won the Globe. If not, that's weird because it's... I can check that out. It's a musical. <laughs> but no, it's a musical. It's fine. Um, I've seen it before. I liked it this time because, again, it's me giving it my all. <laughs> I had to pay attention, and I did. It's a cute musical. It's fun. There's a great scene with Elton John. Oh, really? We saw it in class because Ken Russell directed it. Oh, we saw a clip from it. Yeah. Yeah, that's we right. We saw the pinball wizard scene. We saw the pinball wizard scene. Yeah, iconic pinball wizard scene. Yep. But no, Anne Margaret does an okay job. It's kind of weird she was nominated for Best Actress. Again, mm. should have been supporting, probably. Interesting. She has a weird scene with some baked beans. Yeah. But yeah. There's a lot of people in this. Tina Turner, Jack Nicholson, uh, Eric Clapton. All these people in this All movie. these people. Yeah, that's interesting. And of course, The Who. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, Ken Russell, I, I think of like him as like the uh, the British director who directed a lot of very, I don't know, I don't want to say strange, but very interesting movies. Like, because he did The Devils, right? And oh, yes. um, he did um, another one I can't think of, but that's also kind of like very interesting, not mainstream audience type yes. movies. Is that what it was? He did. It's um, about a bird. I am gonna find the name of this film, or it's well, gonna bother me. We learned about Ken Russell in class. We just—it's been a while. But yeah. Women in Love. Altered States. That's another one he did, I which I've heard is very interesting as well. Women in Love, though, which I've seen, which is very sexual. <laughs> it's all right. We'll get to it when we talk about sixty-nine. <laughs> mm. And you just thought of another one we missed. Yes, I totally completely forgot, forgot about. Totally forgot. You can this is a big one. This, one. this is a big one. I feel like this was a outside contender yeah. just from everything it was nominated for previously it's the sunshine boys the sunshine boys with walter Matthau and a supporting actor win for george burns which is yeah it's kind of like this is an example of you're old you've been around mm-hmm. you did a good job in a single movie this year so here you go it's a career award yeah it's a career award it feels like and i know it's based on play by neil simon and it feels like it is a play mm-hmm because there's like a, a scene where they're rehearsing their little skit that they're going to do, and it's a very long scene. Oh, man. Drawn out, and you're like, all right, get to it, you old man. So much of the movie is either um, Walter Matthau plays a lead role, mm-hmm. creating a f- ruckus, or the two, him and Kim um, and Burns, uh, bickering with each other. And it's going back and forth on the same thing over and over. And it reminds me... Going back, like I was in forensics in high school and we did improvised duet acting. And anytime we had horrible draws and didn't know what the hell to do, this movie describes that. Yeah. We just keep going back and forth because 
and it's just I don't know. I don't. It's a, it's a callback to Vaudeville too. It, it is, yeah, that too. I it's very much. Said Vaudeville is dead. Abbott and Costello type yeah. vibes here. I wrote in my review that actually, would this movie have been better? Costello is all right. Would it have been better if Walter Matthau was paired with Jack Lemmon? Because they yeah. collaborated many a time. Right, like the or Odd Couple or something. Would Bob Hope and George Burns be together mm. even better? Interesting. Yeah, it's all about casting, really. The other thing I find interesting is that Walter Matthau was only like 56 when this was made. And he appears at like a 70-year-old guy. And, and George Burns is 80. Yeah. And I was really interested because I was like, okay, I remember a movie he was in called I'm Not Rappaport, mm-hmm. which is like 1990s. I'm like, he looks so old now. How old was he in this movie? And I'm like, oh, he's only like 56. Yeah. It's weird. But it's really interesting. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say George Burns is a comedy legend. Yeah. Him and his wife, Gracie Allen, say goodnight, Gracie, goodnight, Gracie. I mean, it's nice seeing him in this movie. Yeah, totally. I don't think I've seen him in anything else but this and, like, Johnny Carson interviews, mm. which is weird to me because I like him, but I haven't seen him in anything. Yeah. And I thought of the two, Mathau was stronger. Mm-hmm. Of course, he, I think he's given more to work with. Yeah. Um, what's really interesting is that this won the Golden Globe for Best Comedy or Musical, and Burns and Mathau tied for lead actor there. Um, Mathau was nominated for lead actor at the Academy. Obviously, Nicholson won. Um, and what's funny is that, um, oh, what's his name? Richard Benjamin, who plays the nephew, won supporting actor at the Globes. Crazy mix-up, because he wasn't even nominated, I don't think, for the Oscar. It's just an uh, interesting movie to be even nominated. Yeah. It's, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, I was kind of disappointed myself. I just thought it was very cluttered and not a whole lot was really happening. And there's a remake of it too. Is there really? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Woody Allen and Peter Falk. That's weird. I know. That's really weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sunshine Boys. It's also very okay. Last thing on this. So it's got some sexist material in it. Mm-hmm. It's also just like. There's a scene near the end with um, his nurse, mm-hmm. who's a black woman. I'm pretty sure the only black character in the movie. And um, trigger warning here. She, like, falls asleep, and he wakes her up by throwing cotton balls at her. Oh, my God. And I'm like, okay, is this just blatantly racist or extremely tone deaf? And, like, there's a lot of that throughout the movie. And yeah. I was like, it's hard to watch in 2018 just as a warning. Um, which is oftentimes the case, but mm-hmm. all right. Any other films? I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to take one more short break. Interlude. Interlude. We will be back. We will wrap things up, talk about our personal winners, um, see if we would have changed up nominations at all, talk about our top films of the year, and go from there. Stay you. This is the plaza of the Music Center in Los Angeles, California, where these crowds have been gathering since early morning to watch the arrival of Hollywood's most glamorous stars for tonight's ceremony. 
like lovely Elizabeth Taylor in Silk Chiffon over Arnell Georgette. All right, we are back for our final segment where we tie things all together, both those that were nominated and those that we saw outside of the Oscars realm. First thing we're going to start off, I know we both like the nominations this year, but are there any that you would take out and replace as in Barry Lyndon? Yeah, it'd be Barry. <laughs> Sorry, Barry. Um, but no, I would take out Barry Lyndon and easily put Great Gardens. Great Gardens. It would be the first... In Christian's world, the first documentary nominated. Yeah, that would be awesome. I would, I would be down for that. Um, I would also take out Barry Lyndon, um, despite its technical achievement. I will say I would still give Kubrick a director nom for what he did, but I would replace it with Night Moves, um, just based on what it was saying, and I thought it was heavily o- overlooked. But yeah, other than that, pretty awesome lineup mm-hmm. of films. Got personal awards. Yes. Do you want to start? Yeah. Let's start with the screenplays and work up. Okay. Cool. Okay. So for adapted screenplay, I have Cuckoo's Nest. Same. Good award. That was easy. Good win. Original screenplay. I think this is where we differ. Mm-hmm. I have Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay. See, that's fair. Um, I have Nashville. Dun, dun, dun. Which that was an award that went to Dog Day, which I think was totally a good pick. Mm-hmm. I would go with Nashville. The weird thing is, I think both of these were pretty much improvised. Yeah. These movies. Yeah. So maybe maybe there's some debate there about whether yeah. <laughs> those are actually good screenplays or not. But Supporting actress. I think we also differ here. I have Ronnie Blakely for Nashville. I went with Lily Tomlin. And we talked a little bit about this. They're both great performances. I think either way it would have been a good pick. Um, Lily Tomlin is a little more understated and um, subtle in certain ways. There were times where I thought, where is Lily Tomlin? She finally shows up near the end and it's just like blew me away with just her, her look, you know, and whatnot. But Ronnie Blakely is awesome as well. Supporting actor. We're the same here. Good. Thank Robert God. Shaw. Robert Shaw. Not even nominated. It's a crime. I thought he was clearly mm-hmm. the best supporting actor that year. That was simple. Anyway, that was. Actor and actress, I'm pretty sure we're the Well, I saw you actor. We'll talk actress then. Actress is Louise Fletcher. It is. If you're going to include her in that category, you have to give her the award, yeah. I think. She was that good. And then actor. I have Jack Nicholson in Wolf of the Cuckoo's Nest. Brett has... I'm also going to go with Jack. Because he also wrote down, or maybe Pacino? Al Pacino is simply fantastic mm. in Dog Day Afternoon. I think I'm going to go with Jack simply because I feel like there are just a few more layers to that performance. Mm-hmm. He touches on a little, a few more emotional themes. But Al Pacino, career best, like amazing. There's a lot of like good runner-ups in here. There really are. Awesome. Um, director. Steven Spielberg okay. for Jaws. Not holding a knife to his neck or anything. <laughs> I mean, all respect to Foreman, who won um, Milos Foreman, but Steven Spielberg, what he did with Jaws to make a critical and commercial hit and also do it with everything troubling about that production and still look and feel great Mm -hmm. is amazing. He should have been nominated and he should have won. All right. I mean, I feel like we talked about Best Picture, but you went with Jaws. 
Jaws. One flew over the cuckoo's nest for me. That's right. They're both top two films of the year for me, right there. Yeah. No, I think they look good, though. Both our personal lists are, I mean, I enjoy it. Yeah. They're smart picks. Smart picks. The way I see this year is that the nominees were so good. After that, I think there's a bit of a drop-off. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, 1993, I thought it was pretty consistent mm-hmm. all the way through the films we watched. It's like but, 1975, it was hard to pick just one winner. Yeah, it yeah. really was. They're so good. They all like, say a lot. I don't know if, in the current day, if you could pick between 5 and 10. Because mm. these five, I mean, Barry Lyndon, yeah, we'll, okay, we'll say it. The five are good. Yeah. It's a good film. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all right being in there. One is good Four great, yeah, pretty much of these movies, which is like most years. I think, you know, I find two or three that I think are really great, mm-hmm. maybe even masterpieces, and then the other two are maybe good or maybe not so good. This year, just almost all the way through, mm-hmm. is just really strong. That's all right, so upcoming, I think so our next show will probably be top ten of twenty eighteen. Oh boy, be looking for that in January. Um, after that, our next segment on which picture was best will be 1999. 1999. Oh my gosh, it'll be 20 years. Yes, I didn't it will. I think about that. I didn't either. Who am I? Here we go. That is the year of American Beauty, and I was doing some early research. There are a shitload of good films that there year. Are. So that would be a lot of fun. And then I just want to say upcoming the next year, hopefully get to 39. Mm-hmm. Because yes. that's the 80th, and it's a big year for Hollywood. And there were, what, 10, 11 10. nominees that year? 10. 10. Which will be our first more than five. That'll be an interesting episode, one that I've looked forward to since we started this. So, Well, thank you for tuning in. Um, this was nice. Like I said, well, you can find this on the website, or you can look on Apple Podcasts, um, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, basically anywhere you can find your podcast on twitter and instagram yes please do so thank you for tuning in again and we'll see you next time happy holidays